Think back to recess when you were a kid. You can probably think of some of those games of tag and who the fastest kid in that group was, right? Well, that was SIU assistant track coach Richard Jones. Not only one of the fastest in his neighborhood, but one of the fastest in the country. A national champion at Ohio State, and then one of the fastest in the world, a competitor in the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta. This is the story of Richard Jones on the Saluki Standards Podcast. McAllister's is the new title sponsor of the Saluki Standards Podcast. Consider your last-minute meetings, get-togethers, celebrations. They're handled because we bring the best to every event. From delivery and setup to big appetites and the smallest details, McAllister's has you covered. Go to McAllister'sDeli.com backslash catering, and let's stay connected. That's McAllister's Deli in Carbondale. I'm your host, Connor Onion. Can't wait to bring you this episode. It's Saluki Track and Field's assistant coach. He coaches the sprinters, Richard Jones. I don't want to bury the lead. We'll, we'll get into kind of the buildup of how you got to these moments. But uh, <laughs> okay. very, very impressive resume. 1993 national title at Ohio State in the 4 by 4 and uh, 1996 competed in the Olympics in Atlanta in the four by 400 race as well. So um, those, those were some of the big moments in your life, but let's start uh, back at the beginning uh, with childhood. How did you get introduced to the sport? Uh, Actually. Okay. So I'm, I'm uh, so I'm Richard Jones jr. Um, And to be honest, I just follow my dad, Richard Jones senior with a, he was also a Guyanese, uh, track athlete, pretty, pretty good track athlete coming up. He went to college on track uh, in Puerto Rico. So really just growing up, it was just being my father's son and following in his footsteps. Um, so he would always, even growing up, he was always staying active, very active. We would go to the track. He would run around, do his thing. Uh, you know, nothing serious. We would ride bikes, go to the track. He would do some sort of a workout. And I just kind of followed along with that, to be honest. And then, um, you know, growing up in New York City, just racing around, the, <laughs> racing around up and down the street, being kind of the fastest in the neighborhood. And it just kind of organically translated itself into the, uh, once I got to some formal track and field, like in high school and such, and then, you know, then the story just kind of continues on from there. So you uh, mentioned Puerto Rico with your dad, you represented Guyana and the Olympics, and then grew up in New York. So how did, uh, how did you end up in New York with, uh, with some of your Caribbean ties? I just, just immigrated, you know, like, they came to the, my mom and dad are both from Guyana. They came to New York City. That's where they laid their roots. Um, so that's eventually how I ended up in New York City, you know, and then just from there, <clears throat> just grew up in New York. Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of anything else. So just grew up that way and just followed the footsteps of of, of my parents and the things that they want to do. and. Um, just continued on from there, really. What did uh, they share with you about, uh, you know, some of their experience 
in, in Guyana and in Puerto Rico uh, before you guys got to New York? So, I mean, I think it's just kind of your, your typical American story, like dr American dream. You know, you go to school, like my, my parents. So my, my dad went to college in Puerto Rico. My mom went to college uh, in London for a little bit, but then eventually ended up in New York City going to Columbia. And then my dad, once he finished school in Puerto Rico, he also ended up working on his master's in uh, Brooklyn, New York as well. So they both kind of somehow did the original part of their education, then matriculated to New York City to, to finish that. So it's really just the dream, right? American dream, come here, become a citizen, live life, so on and so on and so forth. So really that's all they did. I, I have a, I grew up with the Guyanese culture, uh, upbringing, um, and just, I've, I have very, um, I mean, I've been in the U.S. obviously since the 70s. That's, that's kind of dating myself. Um, so I, I've been back to Guyana, but everything is, is very much New York City based, living with a Guyanese Caribbean background. Come to the U.S., work hard, get you a degree, like that type of stuff. Just American dream, <laughs> you know, protocol. So Guyana uh, in South America, uh, off the Atlantic and the Caribbean and, um, you know, borders Brazil for, for people that aren't familiar. But how would you uh, how would you describe the Guyanese culture that you're talking about? What are what are some of the unique aspects of it? Uh, I think that. <clears throat> so, yeah. So one one little factoid, I guess. So Guyana is the only um, native English speaking country in South America. Uh, it is a Caribbean country, so I know some people, sometimes there's some confusion with that, right? So I think I shared with you off offline, it's not Ghana, so it's not in Africa, it's Guyana. Uh, there are some sort of similarities, I think, when we all kind of are around each other. Um, it's funny, in the, in the Olympics and the opening ceremonies, we are, um, you know, they put you in alphabetical order. Uh, so we are actually right next to each other, and it's interesting to see kind of like we favor each other. I have a friend, I, I can go into it, but there is some similarities within that. So we always kind of find that line of of similarity between our countries, but we are separate. Uh, just growing up there is really just a Caribbean-based uh, mindset, right? So you learn how to work hard. Um, you learn how to take advantage of your opportunities that are in front of you. Um, because my parents were both college, uh, college educated parents, I think they had that in mind as well for me and my, my siblings. I, I have a sister, a younger sister. Uh, so I think they just really wanted to instill the fact of hard work, um, you know, uh, getting an education. My, my mom especially was big on that. So. I just think that there was a lot of, it's no different than any other real family. Uh, the culture is obviously, we um, we do our chores. Like, I don't know, it's, it's kind of, it's, I don't know anything different than some of my other friends because we all kind of did the same things no matter where we all came from growing up, but we all had chores on Saturday. <laughs> we all, want to get good grades. We all were just instilled. We knew we were all going to college. So I just think there's a lot of those, um, those types of things that 
were just brought up, just put in the DNA that we had. I mean, only thing different, to be fair, is probably what we ate, um, how we went about doing things, our dialect, of course. Um, so diet and upbringing and all that stuff is probably just about the same. It's probably what's different, but really and truly, we all kind of had the same, I want to make it in America mentality. So this is what you have to do to make it in America. And went from there. Was it your mom or your dad that you said went to Columbia? Uh, my mom went to Columbia. She was a life, she's a lifelong educator. Like that is, you know, even in her, you know, seventies, um, she recently, well, it's probably been a few years now. So she was still getting her PhD. She got a PhD. Um, I think maybe, maybe about between five and 10 years ago, I can't be specific on it, but so she was working on that. She's always been in education, um, always pushing education as a means to an end. What kind of pressure was there for you then? You know, you, you've got Ivy League and uh, big time education in your family. What kind of pressure was there not only academically for you, but just to achieve at a high level uh, because of what your parents had done? Uh, so there's always that. I don't think it was too much pressure. Nothing that nothing that was um, overtly pushed on me. Um, obviously, they did what they did as parents to sacrifice for themselves, for me, to make sure that I had um, the best that I can get within reason. Um, so, like, track wasn't pushed upon me um, as a sport or anything like that. Like I said, growing up in New York City, there's a lot of different things we could have done. Um, you know, and I actually did those. I did, I did uh, baseball. I did basketball. I did a uh, little peewee football and then eventually ended up uh, with track. So my dad exposed me to all of that stuff. Um, and then that's just kind of where I gravitated. Uh, some of that probably subconsciously was because of my dad, but nothing that he actually said he what he wanted me to do. But once I chose that sport, then we kind of like the relationship in that regards kind of flourished. Um, academically, my mom made sure that I was also exposed to a lot of things. So we went to a, a lot of program, you know, um, programming in the city, going to summer camps, um, a lot of those types of things, just to make me a well-rounded individual kind of growing up and then just maintaining a good, uh, you know, good standards. So a lot of the schools, so I went to a private school, I went to a high achieving junior high or, or middle school, uh, went to a high achieving academic high school as well. So there, there really wasn't the path in that regards was just kind of um, chosen for me that way too. Nothing, you know, I did not attend any, well, I did go to public school, but I did not, you know, the, the stereotypical, what people may see in New York City schooling uh, was not my experience per se. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, growing up, just kind of running around the neighborhood. Uh, was was there a moment where you realized that you were one of the fastest kids and you were beating everybody? Uh, you know, it's just it's the typical. Um, you have the older kids chasing the younger kids. You know, we playing tag and things like that, and just a function of um, that hierarchy of athlete 
you're the fastest of the little kids, but then can you beat the bigger kids? And then you start to slowly but surely beat the bigger kids and then it becomes like, oh, okay, this, this kid is pretty good. And then you start racing kids from others, other neighborhoods. Uh, you know, we grew up on a block. So on my block, I was the fastest on the block. Then, he, then I go in there, race somebody else from another block. And then you slowly, slowly be, but surely become better and better and better um, from around the neighborhoods. And, you know, you challenge other people. Then we have community events that you just wind up getting faster and faster over the community events. Um, so then that's where it all just starts to, 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 to kick in. Like, oh, okay. Like I said, my dad did it. He was, so there was that. <clears throat> and then once I got into high school, well, no, no, I, I would say in my elementary school, I was kind of the fastest in elementary school. And then my junior high, you have your field day at junior high. And I was kind of one of the fastest in that, in that regards, um, didn't say I always won, but just definitely always one of the fastest. And then eventually got to high school and slowly made my way up to the rankings in that regard. So um, it's just, yeah, just very grassroots starting from the bottom, make your way up all the way up to the top. <laughs> it, you, you go from just kind of running around being a kid to you know, not too long after that, it's 1993 or you're in the national meet running for the Buckeyes at Ohio State and winning a national title in the 4x400. Uh, you know, every, everybody was probably the fastest kid in their neighborhood in, in the events that you're running in college. So how do you go from just kind of running around, having fun with it, to competing at the high level that you did? Um, so when I got to high school – I'm sorry. Well, I mean – Okay, so coming out of high school, um, I was nationally ranked coming out of high school as well. Uh, so just transitioning that to college, my freshman year of college, we were all American in a four by four. We wound up being um, third or fourth uh, in the four by four outdoor. Then indoor, we were second in the country um, in the four by four. So the 93 outdoor. So even that, yeah. So we were fourth my freshman year and then going from my freshman year to my sophomore year, we, we brought everybody back. And then me personally, I was just focused on winning. Like I saw what it was my freshman year, young freshman looking around at that year, there were a lot of, um, people that I competed were actual Olympics. That was 92. So they were people who were Olympians that year that I was competing against. So that next year, I, I just dedicated myself <laughs> to being like, like I didn't like losing my freshman year. Everybody's coming back. We're going to win my sophomore year. Like I'm focused on winning my sophomore year. Uh, so that was our agenda. That was just the game plan. So we really just kind of went through it. Um, got second. I didn't like losing indoor, that getting second place. So then just kind of, more fuel, more ammunition for the for the outdoor meet, and we just kind of we just were focused on winning. So the transition for me was I've always kind of been on a high level um, from high school all the way through. So it just I I just don't like losing. <laughs> so just was matched up with some of my my teammates, and we became very we're a very good group of 
friends that we still communicate to this day. And those are the stories that we tell to each other and we, we reminisce over those days and just how, how, how good of a group of friends we were. And, and that made a difference in, in getting the title. Where were you at on the relay? Uh, I was the first leg on the relay, freshman and sophomore year. And then junior and senior year, I was uh, the anchor leg. So when you guys won it, you were leading it off. Yeah, yeah. So I took my role as the lead off um, very seriously in that regards. Uh, we always have fun, but I just took that very seriously because I know how important it would be to um, lead off the relay and it just sets the tempo for everything else. So that was just kind of my job. And they were older, so I was the youngest person on the relay. Um, so just even that, they kind of groomed me for that role and kind of poured into me the type of stuff that, I, that, they, that they needed for me to do. And I just kind of went on with that. How did you start it off when you guys won the national title? Um, when you mean how did I start it off? What do you mean? Uh, I mean, did uh, were you guys in the lead after the first leg? Or? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was pretty much wire to wire. I mean, of course, there was some some. So my freshman year, uh, yeah, yeah. So my freshman year, when I hand when I handed it off, we were probably like in fourth or fifth. Um, and then even indoor, we were like third. So once again, I was just kind of like, I want to be the, I'm going to be the fastest first leg in the country. Like that was just kind of how, how I felt about it. Uh, so although, so time wise, yes, we were in first place when I handed off the baton, there may have been a little bit of positioning here and there throughout the rest of the race, but I did my job to hand it off. Um, first place first it it would have been time wise it was first i gotta think there's there's obviously the pressure to start well but being part of the relay and having three guys run after you what's that anticipation like to see if you guys close it out and actually win that national title uh well that year so 93 was like a special year because uh we won the relay um we were we had one of the top 10 times in the world that year and we were second i believe we were either second or tied for third in the in the country as a team with just a handful of us uh, i say that because i did my part um we had a guy that won the 200 uh we had a guy that was set like so that whole team was uh the athletes on that team were all americans and every single aspect or made it to the finals or qualify like you know there was no fluff on the team so we we're just doing our part right so i just did my part like i don't want to be the one guy <laughs> that didn't do his part to get this relay to where it was so we kind of came in the door just focused on doing well did we know how it was going to end up no but we just we just you know the team was my relay had a lot of all americans on that relay and we just did our part and rocked out. Quick break in our conversation with Coach Jones. Bud Light has created a seltzer so satisfying, it will have your taste buds going absolutely wild. Bud Light Seltzer is the official seltzer of Saluki Athletics. Now back to Richard Jones. 
So you go from winning a national championship in 1993 to three years later, you're in Atlanta for the 1996 Olympics. What do you remember about the moment that you found out that you were going to get that opportunity to be in the sport's biggest stage? Um, so that was like my, so that was my fifth year of school. Um, I was done with my eligibility <clears throat> and I was training specifically for the Olympics. Uh, the year before, so 95, I qualified for the world championships in track and field as well. Uh, so at that point, I was running for, exclusively running for Guyana. Um, I had done some, some other things prior to that. I was running internationally during those years as well. Um, but 95 set up 96. Um, so I, I knew I had a year basically to completely focus, train. I was in school, but I was about to graduate. So I didn't have a lot of class load. I was training. So I was training probably two or three times a day in preparation for the Olympics. Um, I went to the meet that I went to. <clears throat> I wasn't... I didn't know when I was going to run a, a qualifying time because that's, that's how it goes. I did not have a, an official trials. Like, you know, like the U.S. has trials and they pick the team from there. Um, for the smaller countries, you have to run a qualifying time. Uh, so I was chasing a mark, basically. And I went to a track meet at uh, Georgia Tech and ran at the meet. I was all set up. I ran at the meet. I did not do as well as I would have liked in the meet. I wound up getting like third or fourth in my individual race. And then a buddy of mine that I knew came up to me and was like, I was, I was a little disheartened, but a buddy of mine, he came up to me and he was excited. He was pumped. He was jumping up and down. And I'm like, <laughs> like, I, I didn't understand what he was what was going on at the time. And then he basically was like, yo, you made it, you made it, you know, you qualified. So now I'm looking at the results a little bit more. So I was more into my place as opposed to the time. Uh, so then when I looked at the time, I saw what I ran and that was pumped, right? So now it goes from in one moment being down, like, oh, I suck, I hated it, I didn't run the way I wanted to, da 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 da, to looking like, oh shoot, I made it. I actually made it, I qualified. I'm going to, and it was in, since of that Georgia Tech, it was in Atlanta. So I was, I'm going to be back here. You know, you have to go through all the official documentation and stuff. Um, but that was it. So I went from zero to 100, being down and out to just being elated, um, just in the blink of an eye. So we were all excited at that point. Uh, sent off everything. And, and at the time, it was also the, um, the national record for Guyana. So I had the national record from 96, probably up until 2015 <laughs> in the 400. So I was, um, you know, and I think we still have the national record in the four by four. Uh, so I was pretty excited about that too, that I really set, I, I had a record, you know what I mean? Like, so I had a, so I had a lot happen just in that, in that brief moment. I was pretty excited about that. You went from disappointed to thinking you didn't do that well to national record holder, right? I mean, yeah, yes, basically. Yeah, national record holder, qualifying for the Olympics, just the whole whirlwind of, of events from that point moving forward. So I was, I was, I was pumped. I was, I was very happy about that. And, and, and you know, 
that just started off some other things as well. Take me to the, uh, the opening ceremonies of the 96 games. What are you feeling when you're a part of that? Um, <clears throat> you know, it, it, is, it is pretty surreal. Uh, being down there, I think one of the benefits for me personally was, was that having it in Atlanta was, was very good because it is, um, we're, we're, there's a comfort level and being in the United States is a comfort level and, and being in a country where they speak English. Like I said, I've been traveling around the world and some of these places where you can't speak the language is very nerve wracking. So there's a comfort level to that, but then there's also a surrealness to saying that you are on the stage with the best in the world, um, with the very best in the world. Uh, <clears throat> so me and my, my teammates, some, that, some I knew prior to um, actual being at the Olympics, and then some we met right there at the Olympics, you know, it's something that can never be taken away from you. Obviously, you're going through the ceremony, you're walking through, you're parading, you're meeting people, you're doing all of these things. Um, and it's a lot of pomp and circumstance. So it's, a, it's just a lot going on. And it's, it's a great feeling. Um, I was blessed that my parents, once again, because it was in the States, you know, my parents were able to be there. My high school coach was able to show up uh, and, and be a part of the festivity, not so much as the opening ceremony, but one of the sessions where we competed. Um, so that was great too. But it's just, it's something that takes your breath away uh, when you're in the moment. And for about two weeks, you kind of have a very, you have like a, you have a complex that like you have access to so many things, right? You, you can eat whenever you want to um, because the villages, the Olympic villages open all, all 24 hours a day. It's just so much going on. You can play games, you can do this, you can do that. Um, so it, it, it's an experience that once you get there, you, you really want to go. <laughs> I mean, I know it's four years, but you really, once you get there one time, you want to go back. Is, is the village as wild as people make it out to be? Uh, it can be. It definitely can be, right? If you're not, if you're not focused, it is a lot going on. It's a lot of distractions. So, like I said, there are game, there's game rooms, there's events, there's concerts, there's all sorts of things just going on. Um, that if you really, so that's why a lot of the the um, premier people they typically don't stay in a village, right? Like they because if they really if if they are a a gold medal contender, if they are a medalist. Um, the medalists typically aren't staying in the village because there's just too much going on. For, for all of us regular folk, <laughs> regular <laughs> Olympians, and those that are happy to be there, to be a part of that environment, yes, we partake in all of those festivities and fun and, and you know, collecting pins and meeting other countries and different people and doing all that stuff. We enjoy that. But if you're not, you probably aren't in the village. <laughs> uh, was there anybody you met or a moment where you got starstruck being at the Olympics? Um, so track and field wise, um, like Michael Johnson, I'm not sure if people are familiar with Michael Johnson, but at the Olympics during that time, he had to, he broke the world record uh, in the 200 at that time. Donovan Bailey broke the world record. 
and the 100 meters at that time. So just being part of those moments, like, oh my gosh, being at the track, all the lights flashing, watching everything that, that went on <clears throat> during that time, yeah, like that can be that with a little uh, star, you know, awestruck moments, right? But there wasn't anybody in particular, because once again, the bigger people aren't there so you don't really see them that much i saw more i saw more people that i knew personally and just kind of the camaraderie with me and my friends but all the big time folk you don't really you know unless it's just a, a passing moment like some of my friends did that they took a lot of pictures with a lot of different people um i kind of didn't <laughs> if i was in the moment sure but i didn't i, I wasn't like that i was just embracing those moments like wow he broke the world record oh my gosh and you just see all the lights it look like a i don't know it's very if you see it on tv it it does really look like that with all the lights as soon as the as soon as the gun goes off all the lights flashing from the cameras and all of, it's like running out of football game just like a packed football game uh so that could be a little overwhelming um but nobody in particular comes out to mind to me yeah you still got some of those images pretty vivid in your mind, don't you? Yeah, yeah. You know, you can't, you don't lose those types of things. You know, obviously with age and such, you might forget all of the details. <laughs> but, you know, but for the most part, yeah, you, you, those are memories that you never really take away. Um, and you try to share them with, with those that were there, uh, with some of their friends. You kind of, as they, they have now created this environment they say once an olympian always an olympian so that is our phrase that we take with us um so yes we always try to relive those moments we talk about the stuff that we can when you get a, when you get around some of your fellow olympians um and you know we relive those moments as best we can as you should as you should uh, one of the things that I think in the mainstream people think about when you say the 96 Olympics in Atlanta is the Centennial Park bombing. Um, mm -hmm. What was your experience when all that was going on? Um, so uh, we were in the, in our actual hotel, not hotel, but like our dorms where we were staying, the housing. Um, so all all we really remember that night was that there were just a ton of police activity going on during that time we could hear all the sirens we could hear all the cop cars we could hear everything so it really wasn't until the next day that we we kind of got um all of the details of the bombing and kind of what happened and then you know it was it was pretty uh somber for a moment right because people are nervous people are looking around you can't go into that little the um that area anymore and it wasn't far away from where we were but you, we didn't so i didn't hear it i didn't hear any the bomb i didn't hear any of that stuff i just saw the the police activity and it just kind of it just made everybody kind of look over their shoulders here and there a little a little weary of things for a few days into that um and we just avoided the area you know I, like i said i think <clears throat> the benefit more for me and some of my um, teammates with that a lot of us were us based athletes um, so we didn't have as much fear for it if that makes any sense like eh, this is like we're nervous but 
we know how to move. <laughs> we know how to, we, we're familiar with this area. I had just been there, right? Because that's where I qualified for the Olympics. So I'm familiar with the Atlanta area specifically. Um, so it was, it was just a little thing that was a little harrowing, but it wasn't, it didn't, you know, you just got to, I hate to say it, but like growing up in the in in New York City, growing up in the city, I was kind of um, not as taken aback as others may have been with the events that took place. So there was no thought of, hey, maybe I need to get out of here. Maybe I need to go home and and not compete. Nah, nothing, nothing along those lines. To be honest, I think security. You know, they did what they had to do security wise. We kind of we kind of grew up around things like this, not bombing. I'm sorry, that sounds bad, but we kind of um, were a little bit. We were already in a protective state of mind, so now you just have to kind of look around, just be wary of your surroundings, just continue to do what you've what you've been doing. If you've grown up in New York City, if you've grown up in a lot of urban areas, you know, just kind of watch people around you. Be smart about where you go. Not going to leave. We're just going to be a little bit more cautious about what we're doing and who we're around and who you surround yourself with. You know, I think what we wind up doing was just really keeping our circles, uh, like our our own circles tight and just really just moving in in places where we um, felt safer more than anything else. Mm -hmm. For sure. Uh, moving on to your coaching career, uh, you know, you've, you've won state titles in Ohio as a high school coach. You've won Big Ten titles as a coach at Ohio State, and now you're sprinters at SIU in your first year, won six Missouri Valley titles. Uh, how have you turned your experience as a successful sprinter into mentoring and, and coaching people successfully? Um, so moving from Ohio State to uh, SIU is a little bit of a, um, what do you call it? Um, like raising the bar and the level of expectations. Uh, <clears throat> at Ohio State, there was a certain level of expectation because of, because of the, the, the caliber of university. It is, um, they want titles. Now, I think every university wants the titles, um, but there's just definitely a little bit of an adjustment that I had to make coming from Ohio State to SIU. Um, at Ohio State as well, because I was an alumni there, you know, a track athlete, an alumni, record holder, like all of those accolades that I gained at Ohio State, I poured into the athletes that I coached at Ohio State because I wanted them to be my successors. So I understood it. I knew the the venue, I was very familiar with everything and I was very familiar with the culture at Ohio State because I was part of that culture at Ohio State that got that level of success. Uh, so now <clears throat> you take that same energy and you bring that to Southern Illinois. Uh, same thing with Coach Joseph. Like we were all, we were all part of that environment and that culture as athletes and then as co-workers on the staff and then bringing that back to SIU. So that was probably one of the first things is being able to really change the culture at SIU to not be just a Missouri Valley 
um, great in the Missouri Valley, but great in the in the state of Illinois, great in the region, great in on the national scale. Um, so that took a little bit of transformation. And, and there was some initial success. Uh, like you said, the results kind of came out with, um, I would say for the women in particular, they were the strongest one year one. Um, I think uh, year two, this past indoor season, the men, they they improved greatly um, as well with some of those titles. I was looking forward to seeing this past outdoor season, how some of it would have translated to this past outdoor season uh, prior to the pandemic. So that would have been very good to see. And then now just kind <clears> of <throat> um, rebuilding the team that we currently have um, because we lost a lot of good athletes, but when we also brought in a lot of good athletes uh, and just kind of getting them prepared for the same type of success that the previous classes had. You're um, familiar with the international and national success and SIU's had some of that in the past with Olympians and champions stuff that you're talking about. You know, why do you think this is a good place to uh, mold some of those things and bring some of those things back? Um, you know, the, one of the, the great things about um, track and field is that <clears throat> you can be successful as long as you have, you know, a track <laughs> for the most part and the right people, you can be successful anywhere. Um, I think it is less to do about facilities and things and, and more to do, although it does play a part, I wouldn't, I wouldn't deny that. But if you bring in the, the right level of athletes with the right mindset, you can be very successful. And SIU has proven that. They've had world champions. At one point in time, I'm not sure if people know that SIU on the men's side had the national record in the 4x4. Um, so there is a very rich history of SIU track and field right here in Carbondale. Um, I, I would like to say that <clears throat> it has to do with the personnel. So between myself and the staff, we have a very strong group of coaches here. And now we just have to bring those athletes that can match the level of expectations that we have coaches have. And then the sky's the limit. Um, it just took our first year for the ladies to make it to the national meeting, the four by one. And that hadn't happened. It just hadn't happened. So we were already kind of breaking ground. I didn't think it was, I wasn't sure if it was going to happen my, my first year either, uh, but I'm glad that it did. And, and that just shows all you have to do is just kind of be in the right environment, get the right young ladies and or gentlemen uh, on, on point, and we can get there. Those ladies, when I came in, I just expressed to them, well, they expressed to me what they wanted, what their goals were, because they were always close to making internationals, um, but hadn't done so. So that alone, I just said, okay, you ladies want to get to nationals. Um, I know what it takes to get to nationals. I'm going to train you as such. And, and the results were the results. Um, this environment is very good um, for us to get athletes to, that can make it to the national level, if that's what they want. They want to make it to nationals. We have everything necessary to get to nationals. Uh, staff, facilities, support. Um, so that's just, that's it. You know, a, a very strong foundation coming in. And then we can we can coach them up to the level of what they want to be. 
Very good. Can't wait to see what you guys do next. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to to um, you know is this is the this is year three, <clears throat> um, but it's kind of like two and a half because we just have a <laughs> we've been delayed um, somewhat this past spring season. Um, we, we're in somewhat of a holding pattern because it's a little um, with this pandemic. It's hard to tell what we're going to be able to do. Um, but we know that eventually we got to be ready. We're going to compete. The outdoor championship will be here in the springtime. So we're, we're all roads lead to being, to doing um, very well at the outdoor championship, indoor and outdoor championship. But we know we want to do really well when we have them here at home. And that's what we're just going to kind of work towards. Um, I have a very good group of, on my behalf, sprinters and hurdlers. We brought in coach Chantel Ray, who is fresh off of a post-collegiate career herself as a hurdler. So we brought in um, some very good people to fill in our gaps and looking forward to it. Yeah, a lot to be excited about with Saluki Track and Field. Yes, that is true. You, I think that <clears throat> I really believe that with what we have um, on our roster um, and the direction that the coaching staff and the athletes are going in, that there's going to be some a good level of success kind of moving forward. Um, the athletes know on my what I'm looking for is um, a national presence. That comes from Coach Joseph. That's what she's used to doing. That's what we were all, that's kind of what we were used to doing. So that's how we're training our kids. The kids believe. Once the kids believe, um, once the athletes see it, then they really work towards getting that. And that's, that's uh, we can do it. So we're kind of looking forward to doing that.